Welcome to this edition of uh, Frontline Conversations. Today we are talking to the Acting DG of the Department of Public Enterprises. We'll be going through a whole lot of things around uh, public enterprises, state-owned enterprises. Uh, there's been too many things going on. There's been a lot of work that's been going on behind the scenes to improve the performance of uh, state-owned enterprises. So today we're just going to go through some of the issues uh, that are important uh, for our listeners to know about. Mr. Tlaguti, thank you for joining us this morning. Um, as we said in the introduction, we're just going to talk about yeah. issues of um, state-owned enterprises. Mm. Um, I suppose the first thing is probably just to introduce the Department of Public Enterprises, mm. the role that it plays in the management yeah. of state-owned enterprises. Yeah, yeah um, thank you so much uh, for arranging uh, this discussion. Um, it's, you know, we, it's, it's always, uh, I guess, a good thing to to share some of what we do on behalf of South African people mm. uh, with them, because ultimately these are publicly owned assets, uh, which the state has been entrusted with custodianship. Yes. Um, I am the acting DG, as you have correctly um, uh, introduced me. Um, uh, we are in the department, uh, it's a very small department, it's about 200 uh, positions allocated, we probably still about 180 people mm -hmm. here. We have a mixture of skills, uh, economists, um, uh, subject uh, or sector specialists from mining to uh, electrical engineering all the way to foresters mm -hmm. uh, in the department. Um, and we are responsible for seven entities, uh, including uh, the two airlines that are currently in business rescue. Yes. Um, also, this LESCOM is the big one in the portfolio. Yes. Um, and then we have uh, Transnet, which is a state-owned uh, logistics company. Uh, we have uh, uh, two smaller entities, uh, Safcol, which is in forestry, mm -hmm. which used to be quite a big company. Uh, used to have forests all over the country, stretching from uh, the Western Cape all the way to Vanda in the north. Mm. Um, it is now left of about uh, 200,000 hectares which is mainly in Mbopo and uh, in, uh, 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 in Mbumalanga. Mm. Um, and then we have Alex Koja, a small mining company out in the, in the Northern Cape. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it has a quite an interesting history as an entity. Mm -hmm. um, the, it produces some of the best, most sort of after diamonds in the world, but it doesn't produce many diamonds. It's about 60,000 carrots a year that they produce, mm -hmm. um, which constitute about less than 1% of South African production. And um, uh, it's the, the mine, the land on which the mine is located was actually taken uh, from the community, communities uh, out there. You have the Nama mm -hmm. communities there, you have uh, uh, the Bastels in that part of the world, also you have uh, um, the colored community mm. here in, in general. Um, and the diamonds actually were used to buy arms for the country. Mm. Um, uh, and that brings me to the last entity, which is an armaments manufacturer, Dinel, mm. uh, which obviously would have been um, um, a beneficiary of some of the uh, armaments that had to be finally assembled in this country. They actually 
the technology was bought from elsewhere in the world and brought here. Now, that's what we are interested with to ensure that the entities um, uh, perform, at least there is, uh, um, they don't destroy value. That's what we're trying to do. They've not yes. done that well in that area, I must say, in recent times. Yes. Um, but that's what we try to do. Try, uh, obviously, we advise the minister uh, on um, how best uh, the, the, the businesses should be positioned. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 obviously, after the board has thought through the strategy, mm. um, and uh, and to ensure that they comply with the requirements of the PFMA in terms mm. of reporting, um, that acquisitions that they do uh, come mm. through here first, mm -hmm. so that we look at them, be it acquisition of other business, acquisition of assets, um, that they come through here, so that we look at those um, acquisitions whether they make sense mm. and, and whether they can be justified. Mm. Um, um, and then uh, obviously comes the report inside. We look at the reports on a quarterly basis. Mm. For those entities that are struggling, we get monthly reports okay. to look at. These are the financial uh, performance reports. Yes. Um, and then um, uh, beyond that, the, the department is entrusted with developing the, the legislation. In this country, we don't have a, a state-owned entity-specific legislation, and that's what... Um, we are entrusted with um, to ensure that um, uh, the whole. This is now the the shareholder management bill. That's what it's called. Yes. Yeah, sometimes called the SOE bill. There's many names out there, mm -hmm. and that's to ensure that you have a uniform uh, legislative or policy framework uh, for managing your SOEs. There's there's about 750 odd. Uh, I don't have the exact number. Yes of uh, SOEs in this country. Mm -hmm. And this stretches from your commercial and the Schedule 2 entities to Schedule 3 entities uh, as per the PFMA, uh, all the way to entities that you find in municipalities mm -hmm. and also uh, in at the provincial level. Mm -hmm. So so that's where the number comes from. We'll talk just now about about the, 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 um, the shareholder management bill. Um, but I think there's been, uh, if you like, a lot of talk mm. from all sorts of circles yeah. about the performance of SOEs, yeah. and I think you've alluded to yeah. to some of the weaknesses mm. uh, that have been have been spoken of. Um, but in your experience, w how what would you say is the state of South African SOEs? at least to the ones that the DPE yeah. uh, oversees? Well, uh, I would say the, the fact that across the board, you know, the, the net contribution of the SOEs um, in terms of dividends, let me qualify that, uh, to the fiscals is actually negative. It mm. shows the state of the entities. Mm. Of course, there are significant contributors if you look at um, income tax, yes. um, both at the company level as well as at the employee level, but that's not good enough. Uh, we want to get to a point where we can be able to say to South Africans that um, state-owned companies have contributed X billions of rands to fiscals yeah. instead of current situation where South Africans are having to tap into dip into their taxes mm. to show up these entities. So the so we are not going to sugarcoat it. 
the situation is not great. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, uh, but what we believe is that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm -hmm. That's uh, for the simple reason that uh, as, uh, that you do not uh, systematically um, weaken SOEs in terms of their controls, mm -hmm. um, in terms of appointments, in terms of um, investment decisions. Uh, with the intention of, um, you know, uh, uh, taking cash or looting the, mm. the businesses, and then expect that by a miracle of having new people at the helm, that the business will suddenly start performing better. Because mm. businesses, it takes a whole lot of effort to get them to the right position mm. in terms of performance and to keep them there. Mm. And that's um, that's where we find ourselves. And we and what has been very clear in, um, in the uh, almost two years that the the current minister, uh, Minister Pravin Gordon, has been in the uh, at the helm of this department. That with coming in, um, he also didn't and and ourselves as well didn't understand the full extent of the damage that had been done mm. to the SOEs. We are discovering as we go along. Mm. Because, uh, because uh, that uh, you know, the culture that had been built up at the SOEs was, you know, the, these are public entities. Therefore, they are no one's businesses. Mm -hmm. So everyone literally did mm -hmm. as they pleased at the businesses. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's recently been a case of uh, uh, at ESCOM, which was has been brought to our attention of a security guard that had a contract at the business. Now, if someone at that level can be able to be involved in that level of malfeasance, it, it makes you wonder as to what happens then as you go up the organization. Mm. So so that's um, that's what we'll say with regard to the performance of this. It's not good. I mean, if you speak into our own entities here, uh, none of our entities uh, got even uh, an unqualified audit outcome in 2017. Uh, what is 2018-19? Mm. In actual fact, um, we had uh, two disclaimers at our entities. Um, uh, 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 SAA did not even submit mm. annual reports. Mm. Uh, annual report. So, um, uh, so that's the state of our entities. Yes. They are not in a good space, but we working hard to get them there. Yes. Mm. One of the interventions that was announced, I think, initially by the president and then uh, firmed up by the Minister of Finance mm -hmm. in the 2019 budget yeah. was the appointment of uh, what they call chief restructuring officers. Correct. And I think ESCOM appointed Freeman Nomvalo in July 2019. Mm -hmm. What is the role of a chief restructuring officer and where else has one been appointed other than ESCOM? Yeah. The it, it, you know, we appointed what we call the chief restructuring office headed by Freeman Nomval uh -huh. at ESCOM. It was not uh, he's not mm. the chief restructuring officer, officer in the okay. true description of the uh, uh, of the function, um, and he was brought in primarily to look at debt because, mm. as we know, uh, ESCOM rules I think it's about 450 billion rands of debt on its books. Which is unable to service, um, and then the state has had to come in um, to to service the debt on its behalf. Um, and we 
obviously we need to find a solution to that so that's why he was brought in and he had a, a very uh, short um, term uh, uh, assignment and which we are very much th thankful to Saika who are his employers for making him available to come and help us out mm. and um, so that um, he's just about to submit his report in terms of what we should do mm -hmm. so in due course we should be able to uh, so, so he is not actually dealing with structural issues in the company. Correct. Purely the debt side of things. Purely the debt side of it, and and obviously, as, as the Minister of Finance uh, indicated in his uh, not this budget uh, speech, but the previous one, the 2019 one, the intention of of a chief restructuring office is typically what funders would would provide if mm. if you the business gets into trouble such so that it starts raising money to take operational expenses. Mm. The funders would say, let's step in, let's appoint this person who's going to ensure that the funds that we're advancing are properly used mm. and who helps in basically restructuring the business such that it's able to live within its means. Mm. And that's what is intended with that particular function. And this is typically a function that gets brought to management has not done its work, mm. if you think that way. Um, now, the 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 uh, ESCOM has had, had now has a, a chief executive officer. Mm -hmm. We're expecting him to obviously appraise the management team that he has at ESCOM uh, and to see where it, which areas it can be strengthened. So we believe some of the work that ordinarily a chief restructuring officer would have achieved there, mm -hmm. that we should give him a chance to to basically um, uh, get to grips with. Yes, um, and of course, it, you know, it remains. Uh, 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 something that the two ministers will have to to discuss as to whether they still want to follow through yes. with a requirement of a chief restructuring officer yes. as it was originally uh, intended. Now, uh, one of the entities that we had, uh, we were quite advanced in the process, in fact, we had advertised for the position, and we on the verge of appointment was SAA mm. uh, when it went into business rescue in December. Uh, last year, 6th of December last year. So we are uh, hoping um, uh, that um, once the business, uh, the business rescue practitioners have done their work, that there will still be a room to get the restructuring officer uh, in place because there's a lot of restructuring of the business that needs to, yes. to be done. For instance, um, you, know, you need to look at the Mango and SAA brand in mm -hmm. terms of positioning. And should these be separate companies or should it be two brands under one legal entity for mm. instance you need to make a call on SAA technical to mm. say sh should it be part of the SAA group or should it be standalone a standalone business yes. uh, that provides maintenance facilities yes. you know uh, across the board uh, you have an air shafts business in there um, uh, the question is you know should that also be within the SAA group or should it be outside and should it be state owned for that particular matter is that not a an opportunity there to to get management and employees, mm. uh, 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 you know, to 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 basically buy out the state and run the business. Those are this kind of uh, decisions that need to be made. And mm. of course, I mean, entities like the Voyager uh, uh, program that they have, you know, are they fully exploiting the value that is within that yes. particular asset? So those are that's the, the kind of. Uh, issues that the chief restructuring officer will come in and, and sort out, and that that would have been a brief that would have given to that person 
uh, if the uh, uh, the business rescue process had not intervened. Yes. Now, so the, there seems to be a view out there, mm. specifically around the management, or at least the shareholder management, yeah. of SOEs, that it creates confusion. Yeah. If you take ESCOM, for instance, mm. there's a view currently out there that with all the good work that the Department of Public Enterprises is doing, the Department of Energy, which issues policy, is not playing along when it comes to the issue of renewable energies, even though I think there's been a, a, a change since, since the state of the nation where yeah. the president has spoken quite clearly. But even after that, there's still a view that the Minister of Energy is not supporting the work that public enterprises is doing. And I don't think that's a function of the personality of the minister. The view is that would it not be simpler to merge the shareholder role with the policy role, where it may very well be that all of it comes to the Department of Public Enterprises, or the functions executed by the Department of Public Enterprises are transferred to the Department of Energy. That way you have one entity which oversees the policy aspects and which oversees the management aspects. Is that a discussion that has taken place in government, could take place in government? Well, that's actually a discussion that uh, the, the Presidential uh, Commission on SOEs, which was headed by uh, 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 Commissioner Pierre, mm. uh, pronounced on the report came out uh, in 2014. Um, and, uh, and she addressed a specific issue. And, and what was clear in her pronouncement is that you have to have clarity of roles um, uh, in terms of the shoulder management function where it must sit and, and the policy management function where it should sit. Uh, and, and, uh, and also she looked at models around the world and, uh, and countries that have done well in terms of uh, uh, oversight of SOEs. And, and it, and from those, from from a report, it's quite clear that um, the the role of the state as a shareholder needs to evolve to a point where you have a centralized and shareholder management function. Because that's countries like China, countries like Singapore, uh, France to a certain extent um, have gone that route. I mean, Austria has even gone further because they don't have a, a department that oversees state-owned um, uh, entities. They actually have but is a, a, a publicly listed company, mm. but it's uh, the state has a, a significant shareholding in that has been entrusted with that responsibility. So that is the evolution of the role throughout the world. So mm. if we um, we follow what the advocates uh, of of merging the policy and shareholder management uh, roles are uh, are saying, then it means that we are we are going back, mm. you know. Uh, we are actually regressing and not progressing if mm -hmm. you look at best practice out there. Um, and, uh, and you have to have that tension mm -hmm. because um, the policy function 
does not only create policy for state-owned companies, it creates policy for state, for the state as a whole and for, for the country as a whole. Mm. Now there will become there will come t times where the, the the state will come up with policy which is not in the interest of the SOE, but is in the interest of the country, and it's a good thing mm. that, that you get to that particular mm. uh, state. For instance, um, uh, in breaking the monopoly of ESCOM being the sole what is ninety percent supply of electricity in the country, and say. I want to introduce other players. You, of course, you're not acting in the interest of um, uh, of ESCOM, but we have seen the the risk to the economy when you have a single supplier. When things go wrong at that supplier, it affects the whole economy. Yes. So by diversifying your risk as a country and say, let me introduce other suppliers in the system, it's a good thing. Mm. And um, and 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 I mean, in classic economics, they say the state steps in and providing. Um, commercial uh, uh, services or goods when the for whatever reason the, the the private sector which is which is normally referred to as market failure is unable to provide those mm. and at some point the that particular sector or that market become de-risked to a point where the private capital then is able to step in mm. so so if the so the so the policy department's role is to ensure that they create conditions under which the role can start playing less and less roles so that the, the private sector can step in. Mm -hmm. um, and also, obviously, in doing so, ensure that some of the, uh, the you know, significant challenges that a country has, like a country with no issues of poverty, inequality, and unemployment, ensure that those are not exacerbated yes. when such a decision is made. Because we also not only need to have a diversity of players but we also need to ensure that wealth and capital is also diversified yes. you know it reflects the full makeup of our country so so yeah so that that will be really my response yes to that um, to that question and then in term in, in terms of the mandate um, and i think it links to this tension that yeah. you, you speak of mm. um i think president Ramaphosa has said it and mm. SOEs have a developmental mandate. Yeah. President Beiki used to speak about the developmental mandate yeah. of SOEs. I think President Zuma spoke about the developmental yeah. mandate of SOEs. Yeah. And here we are um, at this point in time, yeah. and we know why we are, we, are, we are at the place where we are. Looking at the challenges that SOEs are facing, have been facing, will yeah. continue to face into the near future, what does a developmental mandate mean? And what is, are SOEs properly positioned to execute that function? Yeah. Firstly, what does it mean to play a developmental yeah. mandate? I, I, I think one of the distinctions we need to make, because when we speak about state-owned uh, enterprises, uh, we tend to sometimes um, also conflate the role of what I'll call public entities. Mm -hmm. With those with what I'll call commercial entities. Yes. Now, your public entities ordinarily will, will be those in that provide public goods. Mm. Yeah. Uh, for instance, a public transport. Central. Yeah, central. I mean, it's a public entity, it provides public goods. And um, it's, um, it, it gets uh, funded uh, from the fiscals for the simple reason that these services are provided to the poorest of our people. Um, and um, and they need to be sub subsidized. 
of course, Sandra has not really done a great job in in offering to see the state of um, uh, train services up in Gauteng and uh, and in Cape Town. But that would typically be um, yeah, what I'll say uh, entities that have been created for that reason to provide public goods. Now you have commercial entities. These are entities that are providing services. Um, which they may, and, and in some cases, st they started out as public entities, mm. but they evolved over time as the, as the state um, uh, came to a realization that these entities are mature enough to be commercialized. And this happened mainly in the early 1990s. That's where the likes of Dinell, Escom, Transnet, um, were commercial. They became, uh, uh, you know, uh, no different to any had a PTY LTD business out there. They had to have a board, they had to have a, an executive team. They, you know, they, they, they were created, they were basically evolved to provide, um, uh, to be able to generate profits. Mm. Yeah. Now, if, if, now, using that description, I would say to you that um, an entity like uh, ESCOM or Transnet, uh, it's, its very existence when it was created was a developmental mm. role because I mean they helped to industrialize this country. Mm. But if you have to look at them today, um, they can't hide. I mean they they uh, they are um, poor performance behind developmental mandates. Yes. Um, you know they are now a free. They've been commercialized position to be able to compete quite freely in the commercial space, and they should do so. Um, and and uh, even the, those uh, services that are provided uh, to, uh, like free basic electricity, for instance, the state comes to the party in terms of ensuring that is um, that is provided for, um, you know, to uh, uh, to our people without uh, being detrimental to the uh, to the entity. So there's an element of cross subsidization between those that can pay and those that cannot pay uh, in, in ensuring that. Yeah, but to be true about the ones that don't want to pay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's it's a reality. It's a reality, and um, and uh, and I think we we need to be. Uh, uh, I mean, I think the case in point is so way too, and it's not sending a very good signal to the rest of the country mm. in terms of our responsibility to ensure that we pay. Mm. Um, we have seen that uh, in actual fact when ESCOM started enforcing collections. Um, so the cutting of uh, uh, residents who do not pay, but actually the collection rates went up from 10% to 20%, mm. which shows that people can afford to pay. Mm. Uh, and we know those of us who live here in Gauteng, we know, I mean, Soweto um, has been uh, quite a, a beneficiary of a lot of developmental funding um, uh, uh, and its proximity to the economic hub of of the country means that things like income are a little bit higher than in other parts of the world mm. or, or in other parts of the country. Now, that suggests that more people should be able to pay. Mm. Um, uh, even in parts of our country, in the rural areas where people cannot ordinarily can make a case for not being able to pay, mm. they are paying. So I can't say to pay. So, um, and that's where it's, it's also important for you know, for public representatives, I mean, my political bosses, 
they should also come to the audience, speaking to their constituencies mm. to say people must pay for services that they receive because we cannot then turn around and complain about the state of the entities in terms of financial performance if they are not able to collect. But it's, it's, it's our challenge, mm. uh, not actually the fact that the politicians, mm. if you look at the case of Soweto, certainly, yeah. you've got ANC councillors who are saying the community will not pay, who are saying ESCOM is out of order when it tries to collect and cut off uh, connections. So is, is, is our challenge then partly not the fact that there's a leadership failure, not necessarily at a, at a national level, um, but when you move down the levels, provincial, municipal, yeah, um, I think you're pulling me into a very dangerous place. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I, I leave that to the politicians uh, uh, to, to make an assessment as to how they have, um, uh, whether they provided the required leadership mm. uh, to the residents and whether political expediency um, has, been, has not been uh, an easy cut to play mm. um, when you have to really address what is one of the pertinent issues for our country in terms of our reputation as a country as well because yeah. if people who consume services are not paying but we borrow money to come and uh, uh, build the infrastructure that they are support that they're using uh, what kind what are we saying yeah. to those international funders because you know the levels of savings in our country are so low that we are unable yeah. to use local funds yeah. for infrastructure projects yeah. Now, when you say those things, they may be convenient in terms of carrying favor with your constituents, mm. but they are leaving behind a big reputational damage to the country. Absolutely. And our president has addressed this very strongly to say that people who can afford to pay must pay. Mm. And we cannot have a situation where people are hiding behind goggles and kulus who get pension mm. um, uh, uh, not to pay. Mm. I mean, if you are living in that house, and I'm cool, and you are working, and you are earning a salary, you are consuming electricity and water, you have a responsibility to pay. Mm. In fact, there's no time now that you relieve Mkulu so Mkulu can eat his pension. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, that, the, the other question, I think, relates to issues of labor uh, in SOEs. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a number doing the rounds that say uh, ESCOM has 15,000 too many people. I don't know how true yeah. that number is. Mm. Uh, the, um, what are they called, business rescue practitioners yeah. at SAA uh, have been slashing routes left, yeah. right, and center. And one would assume that SAA is a bit on the heavy side currently because it doesn't, it's not servicing as many routes as That's it yeah. was previously. And the conversation around labor is always one of the most difficult conversations. Correct. And I think uh, ESCOM, uh, COSATU, has indicated it may be willing to facilitate a conversation to tap into workers' savings mm -hmm. as part of reducing ESCOM's debt load overall. Yeah. But I think one of the conditions is around how we manage the issue of labor. Yeah. How are we going to manage the issue of labor? If you've got 15,000 too many people, yeah. That's a problem. Well, that's 15,000 families. Um, and those are 
uh, in some in in some parts of our country where escom is the biggest employer mm. it means literally you put the whole community into hardship mm. now government cannot uh, be um, sensitive to those um, uh, uh, consequences because ultimately government will have to step in and provide um, uh, support to those particular communities now we are not saying in saying that we are not saying where there is um, uh, you know the, the, the number of people have that are employed in an SOE have gone beyond the sustainable number that those should not be addressed mm. but we are saying let's be sensitive to the fact that you know we are condemning some families when we do so mm. and that's really what the minister was saying was saying uh, is are there not other solutions that we should be looking at um, for instance you are paying too much for coal you know if you look at the 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 rate at which you the the uh, of, of at which you are buying coal the cost at which of your coal has has risen up very dramatically mm. why not address that which is your biggest cost by the way instead of targeting employees i suppose the question mm. really is why aren't we doing it we've been talking about the cost mm. of coal uh, for a while and I, I imagine there are contractual issues that are tied up yeah. uh, in that conversation um, but it appears to me at this point in time to point out the issue of the cost of coal which we've known for a very long time mm. is is too high is a way to sidestep the conversation which we must have it may yeah. it may be that would you not we're not going to talk about 15,000 people who are jobless yeah. or whatever the number may yeah. be yeah. but it seems to me those are two conversations that need to both happen it's yeah, not one and, or and the we, other. And, and we are doing something about both, by the way. Mm. Um, I mean, the, there has been uh, voluntary severance packages that have been offered to employees um, at, at ESCOM. Uh, uh, we mentioned SAA as well. Um, and um, uh, and we are doing something. Uh, there has been engagement with the coal industry um, to say these costs are not sustainable. Mm. Um, which we are procuring coal, uh, that government has a responsibility to do something about it. There has been discussions with the IPPs, by the way, as mm. well, uh, to say that uh, in, in when we look at the recent rounds, the recent windows, um, and we look at the first uh, uh, two windows, um, the prices have just cannot be just collapsed. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So. So we are doing something about there's been those things. Obviously, there have been hard uh, discussions because mm. some of these entities have uh, borrowed um, uh, uh, money to be able to uh, do the investments. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and obviously, they, uh, these, these monies were borrowed on a, on a uh, particular understanding in terms of their business plan. Mm -hmm. So now, if they have to start doing some relaxations there are certain concessions that they are uh, that they require of us mm. and um, and that's where the discussion yes. is that it's been led obviously by the department of energy yes um the and 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 the, and the other thing that we also need to which is fundamental in, in this whole issue is we cannot have um, 
uh, a situation in a country which has the level of unemployment that we have. Managers whose first take um, when I happen to manage cause it must be to slash jobs. Um, I think it's a deeper discussion that we need to have as a country. Because um, unfortunately management failures are also um, uh, underwritten by people's livelihoods. Uh, to say, did you deploy the right strategy? Um, uh, uh, for instance, um, you know, uh, 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 in uh, putting your products out there in, into the market. Should you not maybe be stepping aside mm. uh, as a manager if you are not if, to give someone else who has a who will say I can better utilize the resources in terms of people and capital that are in the business better mm. in generating profits. Mm. We have to have that kind of discussion because the tendency, unfortunately, across the board, and and we have some of the private sector managers hired in our businesses is that people must go. Mm. Um, uh, is there? It's the kind of attitude around the world that we have seen that has actually made uh, the poor poorer. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, when that job, when a job uh, gets lost in a blue-collar family, it causes a, a much bigger dent than in a white-collar family. Yes. So those are the discussions that we need to be having to say, um, I don't know what, what they teach at the business schools these days. I was last there quite a while back. <laughs> But um, this is not how um, uh, you know you it, you generate wealth from them. So you generate wealth by making sure more and more of your I'm saying national wealth, mm. more and more people are in deployed in economically uh, active mm. um, uh, pursuits, not by removing more and more of them from that cycle. Mm. Which then brings up the question. If and I, I get the point about being sensitive to the labor the labor issue. I think it's very important. I mean, when you talk about communities in Pumala, maybe instead of using labor, let's say people. People. Yeah. Let's <laughs> we just reduce them to just a co you know, commodity, another yes. effect of production. No, no, no. I hear you. <laughs> it's it's. I, I, I'm just I'm just struggling. Uh, I I get exactly what you are saying. I mean, one job typically, I think, on mm. average in South Africa, supports yeah. about five people. Correct. So, if you if you are to slash jobs willy nilly, mm. then you are going to encounter some some serious difficulties in terms of poverty levels. Correct. And and and, and what have you? Um, but there's then the question, which I think, I mean, as you say, you are you are reflecting on, and you need to be sensitive to it. Is how do you ensure that you reach the right level? Because if you're going to retrench, you can't get people, you can't just leave people and say goodbye. Yeah. And I think the question is, are there conversations? Because you, you are going to have to retrench. It's probably unavoidable, uh, given the state of finances of SOEs. But if you have to, what are you going to do with those people? Are there measures in place, programs, that people can flow out into to ensure that long term you are able to keep them economically engaged and to mitigate the impact of those job losses. Yeah. I mean, there's the, for instance, we have had discussions with UIF. I mean, and UIF has magnificent programs, which mm. most of us don't know about, by the mm. way, uh, where, for instance, they are able to 
uh, businesses, for instance, that are at risk of losing jobs or retrenching people mm -hmm. because they are str financially struggling. UIF is able to come in and help in paying part of your salary until your, uh, there is a turn up in your business activity. Mm -hmm. uh, UIF is able to retrain uh, those employees that are retrenched and pay them a, a stipend while doing so for a certain period of time such that they can um, uh, be able to get um, uh, other jobs in the economy. Um, UIF is able to, uh, to, to give skills and tools and, uh, um, and equipment to, to retrench employees so that they can start their own businesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, they explained to us that they were able to retrain um, some people that were in one of the businesses there where they intervene. They gave them school, uh, uh, tools and skills to be able to go and start their own, um, uh, what do you call, um, beauty, beautician mm -hmm. type businesses. Yes. Uh, from that point on. So that's what they're able to do. Of course, we have a responsibility under our law to do that. That's mm -hmm. what I normally refer to as the social and labor plans. Yes. You know, to, to be able to to um, reduce the effects of unemployment to those that are affected. Mm -hmm. um, but having said that, we should also be uh, saying, for instance, um, uh, to, to these uh, managers of our state-owned entities, what kind of innovative plans can you come up with to reutilize these people? Mm -hmm. For instance, why are you outsourcing certain services when you can bring them in-house, retrain these people using funding like what UIF is able to provide, yes. such that, like at SAA, for instance, why are you outsourcing ground handling mm. responsibilities? Why not some of your people that um, you we're going to retrain you, retrain them, and they perform those services. And which services, by the way, had to used to be done in house at mm. SAA in the past. But you know, we, you know, we come with a business school, yeah. um, you know, uh, 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 strategies, and we say, no, we are outsourcing. Because uh, when do. it's not in the business, I can demand that you cut the price at which I buy your services. Yes. Then I look good because the bottom line looks better. But I'm actually creating hardship yes. um, in those businesses that are that I've outsourced to. I mean, you see, with cleaning, we have outsourced cleaning across government. But when you go and speak to the ladies who are working for those companies that are doing cleaning, the salaries that they are getting, they are below poverty line. They're mm. creating hardship mm. for people. But it look great because mm. now we have outsourced the service. Um, and now instead of paying two million rents a year for the service, I'm paying 1.5 million. I've made a, a mm. 500,000 saving. Yes. But that 500 sa saving that I've done is actually at the hardship of other people. Mm. They tend up near when they come in, they must also get their pound of flesh. Mm -hmm. So what eventually gets to the employees probably a million rents instead of two million rents mm. that they were insourced. Mm. So we need to challenge our managers in that way because yes. we pay them big salaries for them yes. to come up with creative solutions not to come up with easy solutions, yes. which cause a lot of hardship for our people. And I think that's, that's the, um, wealth. I mean, capital has been great in terms of creating wealth, but it's not been great in terms of distributing wealth. Absolutely. So, and, um, and, and this is the recent capitalism, because we know, I mean, if you look at, into history, look at the likes of Carnegie in the US, um, uh, Ford, said, I'm going to build a car which my employees should be able to afford. 
you know, and he paid them accordingly so they'd be able to afford it. So, so we need to be saying, how do we, uh, as government, ensure that th the, this capitalism which we have adopted is actually, um, uh, you know, makes all of our people's uh, um, lives better, mm -hmm. not only some of them. Now, we are running out of time, um, but I have to ask you uh, two things. Uh, I think pres the president called it division, is a divisionalizing yeah. ESCOM. Um, and I think in the last budget, in the last state of the nation, yeah. the impression created uh, or that we people walked away with from that state of the nation address was that it would be three distinct separate units. Yeah. And then the president spoke now and he said divisions. Uh, just in terms of did we hallucinate last year, or has there been a change of, of uh, strategy in terms of how that's going to be done and what it means if there has been a change? And then the last one is around SAA and some of the comments that have come out of uh, cabinet members. Didumboweni um, doesn't seem to be too big a fan of the government being in the airlines business. Uh, I think uh, Gwede Mandashe also spoke and said uh, the bailout to SAA is uh, subsidizing the elite uh, in a way which is able to fly on SAA, uh, which is probably a healthy thing to happen within a cabinet where you've got these detracting views about what ought to be done. But is privatization a possibility, not necessarily a conversation, but is it something mm that government may look into as far as the airline side of its work is concerned? Um, with, all the, with all the guarantees yeah. for the people in that business that you would have yeah. to put in place. Let me start with the first question um, on ESCOM. Um, the plan definitely is still to have uh, uh, three uh, distinct entities mm -hmm. um, within ESCOM. Um, uh, and the and uh, there was always a roadmap if you, uh, towards that. And, and if you go look at our roadmap that we have published on, in October last year, yeah. we said that um, uh, what you want to first achieve is to uh, arrive at that functional separation. Mm -hmm. So what you do is to you reallocate what will be your overhead resources to the three entities, such that you have three distinct entities with three distinct uh, financial statements. Um, and then legal separation then will be achieved uh, yeah. as the next target. So the plan is still to achieve that. Yeah. So what, what you may be referring to as, as divisionalization is that functional separation that I've just spoken to. So we are still on track on, on that one. Um, uh, 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 for now, the, uh, the obviously the focus has been on the transmission business because that's what the entity really that's going to enable uh, that um, uh, separation that you've spoken of. Yeah. Um, uh, is, is we will have a separate board, but more of a management board yeah. um, um, headed by uh, MD, an MD-level person. We still intend to achieve that uh, uh, by the end of this financial year. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, uh, then the next step, obviously, then to have legal separation. Now you can start to have uh, independent board members sitting in that particular entity. 
uh, going forward, but it's still within the ESCOM group. So what you do is you try to create an arm's length yeah. relationship. So what we have already developed um, uh, the, the instruments that will also enable that, because obviously, as you can imagine, now that entity will have to buy electricity from the generation part of the business mm -hmm. and other players. So there has to be that uh, uh, power purchase agreements put in place between those. So we have a draft uh, that will be utilized for that. We also have to, the distribution business has to intend buy electricity from transmission. We have what you call, um, I think in this electricity supply um, uh, agreement, mm -hmm. uh, we have a draft of that that will regulate that relationship. So that work is is, 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 is ongoing. Um, and uh, uh, obviously as we reach those milestones, South African public will be properly informed. Now, uh, coming to the, to the second question that you're asking, uh, private capital is already involved in our businesses. If you go look at the ports, we have private uh, entities that are running some of the terminals. Mm. Um, so what we are speaking to is not something new. If you go look at Dinel, there are uh, entities of Dinel which uh, private capital has come in and has brought in technology, has brought in uh, money, has brought in management expertise. So, so th and that has turned out to be quite good um, uh, for those for those businesses where they have come in. Of course, there's been some instances where it has not worked out so well, mm. but overall, it has been it's a been good positive. experience. Now, going forward, we have to bring in private capital because um, it brings certain discipline uh, into the business. Um, so it we have to move in that particular direction, and and the government has been very clear on that that. Um, that we need to fix the business such that they are in a position for us to be able to bring in a strategic equity partner. Mm. Uh, so that's going to have the timing of it. Obviously, will be dependent on um, uh, on uh, you know the time it takes for us to ensure the businesses are in a good foot. Yes. We also want to get good value yeah, when yeah, we yeah. do that. Yes. So yeah. So the um, and what you want ideally is to, I mean, these businesses are 100 years old. Yeah. Some of the problems that we're seeking to, to solve back then have been solved. Yeah. The question that you should be asking is, which new businesses should the state be investing in? Mm -hmm. which, the sta which, because of the, the, sta the stage in the development of, of, uh, of the technology or of the markets, private sector has not moved uh, into. For instance, in the uh, green technology space, mm -hmm. um, you know, why is, why, is, why is the state not playing a lead role in that particular mm. space? Um, I mean, uh, uh, storage is a big thing. Mm. The American government, I think, is showing the way. Mm. Um, they're investing heavily in developing uh, battery storage um, to support the, the uh, independent power producers. Mm. So. Um, uh, or renewable power, uh, independent power producers to be more exact. So, so we have CSIR, for, for instance, in this country. Why are we not uh, putting uh, money? By the way, the lithium-ion technology that um, um, a lot of our uh, battery storage mm. was actually developed by CSIR. So why aren't we? Other than being broke, of course. No, 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 no. <laughs> My question was was rather rather than obsessing about about getting out of getting, businesses. Yeah, we should actually rather be encouraging our uh, the state to invest 
in new businesses. In, in new spaces. But so, I mean, the, the, the issue we're pointing out, I think it's, it's an issue that has dogged South African yeah. innovation uh, for a very long time, mm. where the CSIR has come up with some fantastic technologies uh, in the past, but we've just never been good at commercializing uh, our own inventions. I remember, I think, was it 2011? Yeah. Uh, before you, you reached... Uh, I think uh, full-scale production of a lot of these uh, electric vehicles. Yeah. South Africa had an electric vehicle, yeah, uh, and that, that was the years. Uh, but I, I don't know if it was for reasons of technological development, uh, but I know that project did not go as far as it could have. Um, yeah. And part of it was money. Yeah, part of it was money. Um, and <coughs> the other thing as well, I mean, is, you know, the, the reality of it is, I mean, government can provide certain instruments to enable private sectors to be innovative and come up with a project like the Jewel. But the, but the reality of it is the private sector has a very low appetite for risk. Mm -hmm. And some of the good projects die not because um, they were not good projects, but because private capital has, you know, there has to be a return on equity. Mm. You know, so maybe the conversation that should have, maybe the Jewel should not have been a private pursuit, maybe it should have been a public project. Hopefully, the sovereign wealth fund and the state <laughs> bank will help us solve. Uh, no. Well, at the, at some of those, those would not be you would not want it because those sovereign wealth funds, uh, by their nature, they must be returned on investment. Mm -hmm. But grant funding in an entity like um, CSIR, such that you mature the technology in the market, mm -hmm. then then you can then say, um, uh, let's get um, uh, a sovereign wealth fund once that is mature enough. To and put it into market to scale so they it. can make their return. Yes. So that's that's how we should do that. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I guess that, that was your last question. Yes, <laughs> that was my. I wish we could go on, uh, but I'm mindful of time and yeah, that we have to release yeah. you to to get to the important business of uh, yeah, being the running the state. <laughs> uh, so thank you uh, for joining us for this edition of uh, this podcast. That was the acting DG of the Department of public enterprises, Mr. Katazo Tlagudi. Thank you, sir, for your time. Thank you. Um, I'm sure we'll have opportunities in the future to reflect on these matters. By all means, yeah, our door remains open. Thank you. Thank you. To keep up to date with public policy and current affairs, follow us on our social media platforms. You can find us on LinkedIn at Frontline Africa Advisory, Twitter, FA underscore advisory, Facebook, Frontline Africa Advisory, YouTube, Frontline Conversations, and our website, www.frontlineafrica.co.za. You don't want to miss out.